there's good things to come. All right. Well, so this is it, man. This is the hundredth episode. Um, <laughs> we, 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 I was thinking back. Remember, our very first episode was called Home. Yeah. No, yeah. Beyond, the veil, veil, beyond the Veil. Beyond the Veil, right. And we thought we were going to call the podcast Beyond the Veil mm. because we were speaking of things of eternity mm. and shortly realized, why don't we use the name that's already out there, Restored Gospel, so that uh, it would help with internet searches and things. So we changed it after that. Yeah. But I went back and played episode one yesterday. and uh, Do we sound like a bunch of kids? Just a couple of kids. No, well, I was looking at audio quality. You know, you can oh, okay. hear the echo in the room, but yeah. but volume wise and everything, and the music, it hasn't. It's gotten a little. It was good. Yeah, it but was, what about content? Right, well, you're the producer. To, you're always looking at this I stuff. Nah, not, content didn't matter. I, I skipped past the content. I, <laughs> I don't. A hundred episodes. Like, like to go back. I don't want to go back and listen to that. Um, but we've grown a little bit, I think, in how we talk to each other. And, I think so too. And you know, for people listening, just. You know, we used to have, I think, a lot of edits and stuff. And I think most of our podcasts anymore, I think you don't even stop the tape. They just go out. Yeah. And I that, tell you I take out the embarrassing parts, but you'll, <laughs> I assume you don't go back and listen, so I just leave them in. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, but it's, um, I just, you know what, the the cool thing about this, Mike, is through it all, it's just our friendship. I think I just, you know, I, I love talking to you like nobody else. It's just, yeah. you know, it's fun sharing and opening up the word together and and. I don't know. I, I'm ready to do a hundred more. How about you? Yeah. If, if the Lord willing, I hope so. I hope that it, it's a blessing to people and it continues to grow. Uh, some, you know, 17 countries, uh, some of the countries I see Slovakia, not Slovakia, but the Ukraine. And I, I don't have them in front of me now, but I was amazed. Switzerland, Sweden, uh, oh, lots in Africa, Australia, I, I'm going to leave some out. I, I was just surprised that um, people can hear the gospel. And, you know, I got that. I got a nice message from somebody in Africa uh, that was sharing it, saying this is this is about him, but it was in there. This is, this is truth about him, you know. And I thought, mm. what a great opportunity. What a stewardship. But uh, mostly, as I was driving today for selfish reasons, I was I was talking to Weston on our drive this morning. I said I, I can't wait to get back to the house today and just read the Word and talk about the gospel. It's it's really something I enjoy. But Amen, Amen. So yeah. I don't. I did say though. It's interesting that our hundredth episode. That is a my. I mean, hundred episodes. I mean, three hundred sixty-five days in a year. That's a lot of episodes. And and yeah, I don't is. know. Maybe fifteen of those were our stories of the saints and um, testimonies of of people that uh that have come in and shared. Yeah, that's been a blessing. Yeah, I know some people like those better than hearing us talk too. I think they do, and yeah. good good for them. <laughs> <laughs> we're COVID's put a little damper on stories of the saints, but we've got some lined up, and we're going to get some of those out. I'm I, I'm going to have to go mobile, I think, a little bit uh, to be safer. We'll we'll go do that. Yeah. Hey, hundredth uh, episode, as I said, isn't it? It's kind of cool that today we're going to talk about the Holy One of Israel. The Holy One, and of I. Israel. I don't even want to do any anything more about us doing 100 episodes. It's about the Holy One of Israel. And so that is where we are heading today. Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. Corey, last episode we were talking about, um, you brought out a point that Enos, when, when we had our episode on Enos, he had the desire that many people before him had desired, and that was the knowledge of, and the and the the knowledge of God and his doings with his people would not be lost, but would go back to his people in the future. And you brought out something that embarrassingly, if I did know it, I forgot I knew it, but I never really clicked. When he says, I was pondering on the words of my father when he was out in the wilderness, I never gave it much more thought than, oh, you know, he taught him about God and how to be a good person. Second Nephi, you said uh, around chapter six, even though it's called second Nephi is where, Enos' father comes on the scene, who was Jacob. And 
we kind of talked about how the Holy One of Israel, and you and I decided after that episode that we were going to just go through Second Nephi 6 and 7 because it is so packed full of information about what's happening today, but also the meat of what Enos was pondering on. Who is the Holy One of Israel, and how can that knowledge go back to his people? He did not want that to be lost. And so as he pondered on that, he prayed with all of his heart to God, let my people in the future have the truth about the Holy One of Israel. Amen. So we continue our series, What Does the Book of Mormon Teach? What does the Book of Mormon teach, Corey, about the Holy One of Israel? Amen. Amen. Uh, You know, Mike, 100 episodes, and I was just thinking, (laughs) I don't know how we got here, but I also know that pretty much reading these words, I I don't feel qualified. Like it should be us Mm. sharing these things, but it's like sometimes the things we read, it's like, I don't think I heard them from anyone else. It's just in my life, I got so cued into just reading the things that I thought I needed to know that I, I think I skipped over probably some of the most important things. Well, the Holy one of Israel, Holy one of Israel, uh, was, was Isaiah's, favorite term when he talked about God and, and his power and, and Isaiah, you know, I, I, I hope to, to meet him someday to find out what his personality was, because here's this man who, when he comes on the scene in the old Testament, um, says, God, are you sure, you sure I'm the one you want? You know, I hope he's fully clothed when I meet him. Yeah, no kidding. Cause he went three years, right. With nothing on yeah. that was God's design. But, you know, he's like, I'm not the best speaker and where we come from, you know, we cuss a little. And, and so God's like, Oh, don't worry. I'll take care of that. Angel takes a hot coal off the altar, touches his mouth. And then all of a sudden this man who, um, was not qualified by his standard writes, some of the most beautiful scripture in the Bible. And I don't want to go into a lot of Hebrew poetry, but I'll, but I'll, I'll, I'll say that some of the best poetry in the, and poetry is parallelisms where you get an idea. Uh, if you understand parallelisms, you can understand Isaiah. And, and what happens in the book of Mormon is that these writers of the Book of Mormon had access to Isaiah's writings and Isaiah lived 150 or so years before them. Wasn't quite a contemporary, but they had his writings. Well, he writes in these beautiful parallelisms that um, help explain God's purpose and power. And the writers of the Book of Mormon explain what Isaiah was saying. Remember, we talked a couple episodes ago about Nephi and Jacob say, hey, I'm writing plain unto you that you can't understand. And this uh, Peshat was this word in the Hebrew uh, that was the plain level of scripture. They always say, I'm writing plain. Well, there was different levels. There were different levels. You know, there like were songs, you know. S- exactly. Like today, uh, my son shared a new song with me. He wanted to share it. And it's this cool story about a car, but it's also a story about how this man went to war and left a note in the in the glove box of this car in case he didn't come back, which he didn't come back. So the, mm. the, the man found out that why he got this great blessing of this car was because someone else had lost their life and that he, he had the stewardship over it. But I, I saw the different levels uh, throughout this story, and that's kind of like the scriptures. And I'm, I'm glad they're set up this way that I wasn't able just to read them when I was 12 and say, okay, I got it. I, I love the depth and, and the depth. <laughs> There's nothing else. I love the depth of it that – it's something that holds your interest if you if you choose and if it's important to just continually see. Uh, it's like microbiology, studying mm-hmm. about these vaccines and stuff. You continually see the hand of a designer and a creator. The farther you go down into all of these activities that no one even knows is going on in our bodies. Well, it's like with the word too, spiritually, it's it just compounds on itself. I, I, I can't, I'm glad because it. I get bored easy, and it, it's just, there's just plenty of material <laughs> yeah. that I never have to worry yeah, about but, getting. <laughs> and, and, and like you say, it's like you can go deeper, in it, and then the deeper you go, it brings you back to these plain, simple truths in more profound ways. It's like it always brings you back. The plainness and the simpleness is yeah. the depth. The plainness and the simpleness is the depth. And, yeah. and, and so in this, um, so I got to do one more little plug here for uh, before we get into the Holy One of Israel. So, Two things, if you go to Restore Gospel, they're there now, so they're going to be there when this airs. Um, I added 
a couple sections that I'm adding to all the time. One of them is just called Hebrew Words in the Book of Mormon. And I added a section, on, it's just called Plainness. If you go to that tab, you'll see it. And that discusses something we talked about a couple weeks ago, these kind of four different levels of scriptures that Hebrew scholars have talked about. And so what is interesting is that Nephi and Jacob and others always say, hey, I'm speaking plain so you cannot misunderstand. Well, what, what I want to do to summarize is take one of those scriptures, and you can read this at Restored Gospel, and, and it's details that we probably didn't go into that much depth on our on our episode that discussed this. But in 2 Nephi 11, this is Nephi writing, and then we're going to come back to Jacob's words here real quick. But Nephi writes this, 2 Nephi 11, 34 through 37, there is save one Messiah spoken of by the prophets, and that Messiah is he who should be rejected of the Jews. All right, so he's saying there's only one. It's the one who they're going to reject. And according to the words of the prophets, the Messiah cometh in 600 years from the time that my father left Jerusalem. And according to the words of the prophets and also the word of the angel of God, his name should be Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then he summarizes, and now, my brethren, I have spoken plain that you cannot err. Where where was we talked a little bit about how some things had been removed from uh was it what was the prophet we read um oh the, his name was Justin the martyr he yeah had, was, but what books did he refer to that Ezekiel was it or, yeah a little Ezekiel and Jeremiah why mm-hmm. uh, because he just says according to the prophets his name shall be called exactly who was exactly. the prophets being referred to well <laughs> that's a really really good question it, was, it wasn't that simple to the disciples one of them, and this is a fascinating study, is the words of Zenos, Z-E-N-O-S, are throughout the Book of Mormon. And in one place, I, I, this is just this is recent information. I don't speak like with years of understanding. I've just like found this in the last couple of days. He, Zenos isn't just the parable of the olive tree, which if you're a Book of Mormon reader, you might associate his name with that. Zenos is quoted many times throughout the Book of Mormon. And in one place, Nephi refers to him I believe it was Nephi or Alma, as the prophet of old, as the prophet of old. So they don't call Isaiah the prophet of old. They don't even call Moses the prophet of old, but they call Zenos the prophet of old. Well, the records of Zenos were in these brass plates, and Zenos talked a lot about Jesus, and he, and he was martyred, they say, because he told the world about Jesus. So when you say, hey, since the prophets of old— um, Jesus actually states this on the road to Emmaus and the end of the New Testament uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's this time when he's resurrected, walking with the disciples. They don't recognize him, and they talk about how our hearts burned within him. Well, when they're walking, Jesus, it says, he starts at the beginning of Moses and showed how all the prophets, everything they said, pointed towards him. So whether it's recorded in the canon of Scripture that we hold in our hands called the Bible, the Old Testament specifically, the prophets, and especially here in the Bible, in the Book of Mormon, all knew this name, Yeshua, would mm-hmm. be Jesus. I mean, it was it was the Old, Old Testament name, Joshua, basically, but the, the Greek version of it was, was uh, Yeshua, Jesus. I keep Jesus. waiting for some records to come forth, the book of Zenos to be discovered somewhere. Yeah. yeah. You know, if we could get the backstage pass to the Vatican Uh and go downstairs, I bet you it's there. And I, I, this, this would be a great, you know, Indiana Jones movie someday. If someone uh, uh, had the capability of doing this, because I would imagine these records are there and they're, they've been hidden for centuries and someone has them and someone knows, but Zenos, um, was one who, he was martyred for prophesying of Jesus, the Book of Mormon teaches. So all the old prophets knew of Jesus. They weren't a prophet if they didn't know of Jesus. Um, So going back now, I, I read that because one Messiah, his name is Jesus, the Son of God, and he says, I've spoken plain that you cannot err. So when we go to 2 Nephi 6 now, we are in the middle of... Jacob's writings, and Jacob uh, goes back into, uh, starts in the, in chapter 5, and he he starts preaching to the people, and he starts explaining Isaiah. 
Now, I was starting to say, you know, Isaiah is all about parallelisms. I want to point something out, and then we're going to get into how he talks about this Holy One of Israel. If you jump back to 2 Nephi chapter 5 in the earliest version of the Book of Mormon, um, his purpose with the people is to start showing how Isaiah has been prophesying about what their future is going to be, the, the Nephites' future and Israel's, and, and he starts explaining it. And, and he starts reading Isaiah to the people. And in 2 Nephi 5, at the beginning of Jacob's words here, uh, at verse 13, he says, Now the words which I shall read are they which Isaiah spoke concerning all the house of Israel. Wherefore, they can be likened unto you, for you are of the house of Israel. Now he's speaking to people in his community. You know, this is a sermon he's giving, I guess. Or a podcast he was doing with Nephi Mm -hmm. that day. And there are many things which have been spoken by Isaiah, which may be likened unto you because that you are of the house of Israel. And now these are the words. (laughs) Verse 16 says, now these are the words. You know what's interesting about that little statement? That statement, now these are the words. The book of Deuteronomy is an Old Testament book. And deutero is the Greek word for second, and nomi was the Greek word for law. It meant second law. It's a Greek word for an Old Testament Hebrew book. It was added many years later by people who translated words into Greek. They changed the name. The original name for the book of Deuteronomy are the first six words of the book of Deuteronomy, which say, and now these be the words. This is interesting, it, it, and, and I, I only know like two phrases in Hebrew. The The Hebrew way to say it was, I think, Elahad Verim, was that right? Something like that. This Now, these be the words. That used to be the title of the book, these be the words. Well, what's interesting is when only someone who knew Hebrew and knew, Jew, knew the Hebrew culture would ever even make this statement because this is how I, Moses exactly summarizes his explanation of everything to Israel before they cross over into the the promised land. The book of Deuteronomy is him summarizing everything. And Moses starts and says, now these be the words, boom. And so right now, Jacob, right out of the box, says, now these be the words. And and now he's, he takes Isaiah and he summarizes it to the house of Israel. And it's, it's a powerful, powerful internal parallel. I just saw it yesterday, but that's, it's not coincidental <laughs> that he starts that the same way that Moses did to his people. These be the words. So, so he says, I'm going to lift up my hand to the Gentiles. I'm going to set my standard to the people. And now this is where you can learn Isaiah. Moms, you can do this with your kids in the car. You can teach them Isaiah because you can teach them the parallels to anticipate what's going to happen. Verse 18, 2 Nephi 5, 18 says, and they shall bring thy sons in their arms. And so if 18 starts with sons, you know that it's also going to talk about daughters. Daughters, right. And thy daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. See the parallel? Sons in their arms, daughters on their shoulders. And now 19 says, Kings shall be their nursing fathers. And so, Mike, what's it going to say next? Queens, Queens shall be their nursing mothers. And then it continues, and in the, in the parallels are in every single verse of Isaiah. But but sometimes they're not exact opposites. Sometimes they're contrasts, which add to the meeting. They, they edify your understanding. They shall bow down to thee with their faces towards the earth and lick up the dust of thy feet. You know, you get bowing down, <laughs> looking up, and they shall know that I am the Lord God. Now, here's where the Book of Mormon does it incorrectly, the punctuation says, they shall know that I am the Lord. It should be period. And then verse 21 says, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me, period. That is a statement that is by itself. That is how the Hebrews would have done it. This whole sentence that says for is a summarizing everything else. They shall not be ashamed. So they wait for me. For those of you that like to mark in your scriptures, if you have your Book of Mormon, maybe pick out one color, you know, one bright green or whatever, whatever grabs your eye the most. And when you find these things, highlight that right there. That's that's the main point, the summary. It's not it's just the capstone at the end of verse 21. It should be uh, all on its own, maybe even its own space in paragraph four. Amen. They shall not be ashamed that wait for me. That word ashamed seems to me in this context to um, take on more, more meaning other than how we would look at shame today or uh, like 
bashful or scared to mention is that is that the context that that that's taking that's on a, right there? that's a great point yeah keep going i think I you're i think you're well, on it for um they shall not be ashamed that wait for me um i wonder if it's in that context it's something that's on you because of how others look at you right not not maybe something that you necessarily feel about yourself but but how other people are, because if you look at all of the things prior to it, I'm not sure. I'm not sure in that context. I just think like when I'm ashamed, I feel bad for something I did. And I don't know if that, does that fit here? Do you think? Yeah, I, I think in a sense, but it, it, it's also probably the fact that, um, you know, there's so much, it's like vindication. It's like the people of God who suffered in the hands mm-hmm. of, of sinners and unbelievers for, forever. They're going to know and they're going to see. And it's like, to say I'm not going to be ashamed. I, I think it grabs all this, the fact that people are going to know and they're going to see who God is. And there's like the scriptures say, kings will shut their mouths and the lofty looks of men will be humbled because the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. That's when, you know, hey, we're not ashamed because he was right all along. He was our God all along. He is everything he says he is and every promise he's made will be fulfilled. That's not being ashamed, you know it's 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 so it captures so much but you but like you said that sentence four it's a capstone right yeah and it's gonna be hard to skip through five i think now Corey. i'm looking at i'm i'm with you we got to start at five verse 22 says for behold for the lord has shown me that they which are at jerusalem from whence we came have been slain and carried away captive nevertheless the lord has shown me they should return again and here, look at verse 24. He has also shown me that the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, should manifest himself unto them in the flesh. Exactly. What a great tie-in uh, to describe who Christ is. And see, this is the point. Jacob in, in 5 and 6 only refers to the Holy One of Israel. And if you start at seven and say, oh, well, he figured out who Jesus was. No, he's been preaching Jesus the whole time. And then it's, he finally says, oh, by the way, this is what they're going to call him. Yeah, but the being, the the, pers- the, per- the the being, the God coming down, he knew who that was, and that's what he was describing. And then at the end, his name is revealed to him the day before. Oh, he'll be called Christ. But he, the main point is he's the Holy One of Israel. Not, Amen. not this second entity of... <laughs> the, Jesus Christ, this exactly. thing that appears. Exactly. That's, he was always with them. That's the, that is the main point. And this is the truth that the world, the church, the restoration, that everybody needs to get. This is what the message of the Book of Mormon has been all along, that these people, especially the Jews, knew who Hashem was, knew who the Holy One of Israel was. They knew Elohim and Adonai. This was, this was the creator, right, we're talking about. And so this, he just says, the creator, the Holy One, he's going to manifest himself in the flesh. Yeah, not just not someone else, you know. Yeah, that's like the, the Second Nephi 5, 24, that's a memory verse. That's one to, the, to teach your kids, to teach yourself, to put into your mind. The Holy One of Israel should manifest himself unto them in the flesh. And notice how these parallels of Isaiah continue in the parallelisms of Jacob, and he's profoundly expert in this. And I, I say this as if I'm someone who can, uh, you know, with some authority. I have no authority, but I, I, I'm beginning to see these things and see how he's talking in 24 of manifesting himself in the flesh. Well, then how he continues and says, and he should manifest himself in the flesh in 25, and they should scourge him and crucify him according to the words of the angel which spake it to me. And after they've hardened their hearts and stiffened their necks against the Holy One of Israel, behold, the judgments of the Holy One of Israel shall come upon them. Is there any doubt the Holy One of Israel, that's the creator. I mean, every every Israelite knew, when you talk about the Holy One of Israel, that's the one who made heavens and earth, right? And, and he's saying, he's going to manifest himself in the flesh. He's going to be crucified. They're going to harden their hearts, and then they'll be judged for that. Yeah, who else would be, uh, who else would be more qualified to judge than the ones that you've crucified and 
the one that you crucified and scourged and put to death when he came among you yeah. to heal you. Yeah. There's such a, there's a, there's a beautiful scripture that he states later. Um, and, and one of the things that I, I don't even really want to go here, but it's, I just want to state it. The, the language and the tone of voice in second Nephi five and six and seven is different than you get in the rest of Nephi. You can tell it's a different person speaking. He has a different uh, energy, a different emphasis. Um, I mean, they're all talking about mm-hmm. the same things, and you might just get all these kind of scriptures. They all just kind of sound the same. But when you really look into this, you find his, his choice of words and language and, and all this. Um, it's a different voice. It's a different person I writing, speaking. Jacob perceives Israel and his uh, the people he came from differently than Lehi or Nephi or Laman and Lemuel because of the fact that he wasn't raised in a society or a community. He was born in the wilderness. And, exactly. And the only people he knew was his family. And so maybe he had maybe he had an interest in like this place he came from that you know he couldn't take for granted or who these people were and. Uh, what was going to happen to them later, and why did he have to leave, and why did their family have to leave? I don't know. It's just he had definitely had what from whatever it was. He definitely had a different perspective than Nephi, having been born in the wilderness and never been a part of the culture or the people. Hey, hey, you know, I love I love how you capture the nuance of these things. I, there's a place later in the writings where where Jacob actually summarized that. He said, hey, I was born in the wilderness. You know, we've had a hard journey. We've had afflictions, and our our cousins have, you know, had wars with us and all this, and Nephi writes about that too. But that's all he knew, and it, which is even more profound that he's speaking about Isaiah and the people at Jerusalem as one who'd never lived there, but he's he's learned it all from the words that mm-hmm. the prophets have written and that his own brother and his father, they were prophets too, that they understood. But, you know, this guy's no, you know, kind of a, uh, kind of a slump. I can't think of the word. What do I want to say? It's kind of derogatory. Uh, he, he, he's, uh, he, he's not incapable here. He's saying, Hey, an angel's been teaching me these things. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and so, uh, he's obviously got authority, right? Um, his, that's one of the great things about, the Book of Mormon, so often times the, the writer is stating, an angel of the Lord told me this. Mm-hmm. An angel of the Lord told me this. And it, it, regardless of how you think the Bible came into being or all of those writers, I don't know how many times, it'd be an interesting study, I, I don't know where it plainly says, hey, an angel of the Lord told me to write this. Here it is. Yeah. We just take men being inspired. But this this is... This isn't just a man saying, I think this is how I feel or know about God. Philosophy. No, oh, this is the angel of the Lord told me, so here, here's what it is. Yeah. I love that. And that's, I wrote that down not too long ago. Actually, on one of our trips, I said, I said, Christian, get my little notebook out. Write down, we were listening to the book. Write down the fact that the Book of Mormon often states an angel of the Lord told me. Mm. Um, and that is so we know that the words we have are coming from the lips of a messenger from heaven mm. Mm. without any doubt you know, that, that man was adding this or that. You know, that's a great point that we can take the authority of it, uh, that it isn't just a philosophy or an idea. You know, later Nephi writes about the people you'd, you'd ask about how many prophets knew of Jesus. Well, they, they all did. Nephi later speaks of his own brother, Jacob. He says, oh, yeah, he's seen Christ as I have also. So, I mean, these guys, they are writing with authority and experience. Mm-hmm. Um so he he summarizes uh, Jacob's summary in Second Nephi five twenty four through twenty six is that the Lord God the Holy One of Israel is going to come down in the flesh and be crucified. There, there's no getting around that. That's and if someone wants to say, well, I don't see it this way. The Bible says something else. That's fine. Let's just say we're we're teaching and expounding Book of Mormon doctrine here. Our, yeah. our title is "What Does the Book of Mormon Teach?" You know, if if you want to take some time and study and compare, don't don't be angry because of this. You know, because for some people it it's come to frustration or anger. We're not doing this to to belittle or to to force someone into an opinion that they don't have or maybe haven't arrived at yet. Just 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 take it for now that the Book of Mormon came because Gentiles stumbled and God wanted to give us insight. What does this word say? Right. Well. So when you talk about the judgments of the Holy One of Israel in 26, I listened to an interesting broadcast uh, about God 
and it was it was uh, people discussing Christians discussing the Bible Project judgments of God and how do we look at judgments? You know, does do you know is coronavirus, Corey? Is it a judgment upon America and the world because we're wicked? And God said, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna mutate this little virus now and and put uh, pain and affliction on you to humble you." Or is it? Does the judgment happen out of just a natural fallen world and God kind of you know keeps things back and and keeps things from harming us to a certain extent and at times lets the natural world take hold and then you know we're judged because of the sin since Adam you know they 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 talked about how God held back the waters on the world and they were above us and they were below us and when man sinned uh, he just he took that power away and they, and it said it broke open and the water came down the way it's described in the, in the language. Uh, the same is like when the Hebrews were at the mountain and they, they worshiped, you know, they made the golden calf and it said it's the same language where the, the earth opened up and, and some of them were swallowed up, you know, and killed. Uh, they say, was that a judgment Did God, you know, with his, with his might strike the earth and cause it to happen? Or was it a natural progression of the sinful fallen man and he just takes his protective hand away it's all tied in it's just interesting because the next verse here when it's talking about the judgment it says the judgments of the holy one of israel shall come upon them and the day cometh that they shall be smitten and afflicted and driven to and fro and that's the natural it says thus saith the angel many shall be afflicted in the flesh shall not and shall not be suffered to perish because of the prayers of the faithful, but they shall be scattered and smitten and hated. That's uh, that's not God, you know, coming down and pushing them and scattering them. He's allowing, he's taking, removing his protective hand. He's allowing the world, the natural hatred, the natural darkness, the natural carnal men's hearts to have their way with the Jews in Israel. That is his, that, that's his judgment, but he's using... He's just allowing the natural, evil, carnal men to do it. Yeah, and and you know, God being mercy and justice, I I'm convinced in Scripture that when the left hand move moves, which is the hand of justice, the right hand moves of God as well. That there's a hand of mercy that moves. We just don't always see it. Sometimes we're we're kind of we just see one or the other, but not both. And mm-hmm. and so. Like you pointed out in this next verse, it says they're going to be scattered, smitten, driven to and fro, perished. But then notice how it transitions into verse 28 to 29. But because of the prayers of the faithful, they'll be scattered and smitten and hated. Nevertheless, the Lord will be merciful unto them that when they come to a knowledge of their Redeemer, they shall be gathered together to the lands of their inheritance again. The prayers of the faithful. Yes. And you, it's Oh, wow. So Jacob's saying, he's telling this, right? This part's not quoted from Isaiah. This is Jacob's commentary, correct? Right. Listen to this. Because of the prayers of the faithful, and what did his son, his son was one of the faithful. Oh, yeah. That then, oh, yeah. That then prayed for them to come to the knowledge of their Redeemer. Wow. And here's his dad saying, because of the prayers of the faithful. Wow. And and a few chapters later, Enos Enos is one of those thinking about his father, <laughs> and he offers up this amazing prayer. Oh wow! Requesting wow. this very thing to happen that I they'll come that. to the knowledge of the Redeemer. I love that. You know, this is this is really cool. There's this Jacob. The same Jacob <clears throat> has a, a shorter book than Nephi's, dedicated to him by five chapters called the book of Jacob, where we get more of Jacob's words. And in that is this parable of the olive tree. Well, what's interesting is that it's an allegory about, you know, these trees and branches. And it, people have probably read it if they've read through the Book of Mormon. We've, Maybe got a, we've got an episode hanging out there of the olive tree that we never put out. It was We recorded it one time and then went on. And So um, we're really doing episode 101 right got, now. And so, uh, uh, yeah. It kind of got... Uh, I think we decided at the end it was going to be really hard to listen to without having a book in front of you. So we, yeah, we need to do we'll it do over it. again. We'll do it over. Well, hey, here's the thing. In that parable, in that parable, there's this thing called the roots, and the roots of the tree are still alive. And what the roots are, mm-hmm. they're twofold. Um, some people say, well, it's the gospel. And all that. Yeah, it is. But there's there's another aspect. The roots that are still alive are these prayers of the, the faithful 
they because later there's a metaphorical description where it says the words of these people will speak forth as if from the dust. You know, the roots live in the dust, right? In the dirt. And the thing that was alive were these things that come from the dust that keeps in the allegory of the olive tree, the trees alive were the roots. And these roots, the reason that Israel succeeds someday coming back to God, I believe is very much because of this, because of faithful prayers. The reason Israel is a nation right now, God reminds them in Moses' day, he says, hey, you guys aren't more righteous than these other nations we're driving out from these communities. And he said, you're not larger, you're not more in number, you're the smallest of nations. He said, the reason I'm doing this is because I'm fulfilling my promise I made with your forefathers, mm-hmm. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I promised them that you guys would be the nation. And he said, I'm carrying out my promise. It was their prayers too, essentially, that yeah. were fulfilled. That's a parallel uh, to oftentimes you see, you see where someone is punished, a group of people is punished, and he says, and, and it'll go on to the third and fourth generation. And you wonder, like, well, why would the kids be punished for what their parents did? Uh, and and that's a way of just the third or fourth generation. That was a way of speaking to, like, your ways, your habits are going to go on and on to your kids yeah. if you act this way. Well, here it's, here's the exact opposite. I'm going to do these things because you were faithful, and, and I prayed in because of your faithfulness, you know, you will be blessed and your generations will be blessed and your kids will be blessed because of these covenants that you are faithful in obeying. Just like if you're, uh, if you don't obey the Lord and you are wicked and you go against his ways, then the cursing goes on to generation to generation. Exactly. And, you know, sometimes when I've received like just blessings, I know I don't deserve, I think maybe it was because I had faithful, you know, a parent or grandparent who was, mm-hmm. I'm I'm a recipient of their faithfulness and God blesses in the same way. This is, this is as I asked, or, or as I mentioned earlier about the judgments uh, coming on because of, you know, is it because God just puts his hand down and say, enough's enough, I'm going to slap you with a judgment or does he give us up to our own wickedness and allow those to take place? It seems like you could ask the same question. Does God say, okay, I'm going to do something righteous and make a great movement right now? Or does he give us up to our faithful desires that stimulate that movement? But it's too big to, to say one or the other, but it seems like it works hand in hand. Right. It does. It does. And and in the end, it's all God's story. Yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> in 2 Nephi 5, where we get these short verses of 17, 18, 19, where he talks about, I'm going to put my hand on a Gentile standard of the people, sons in their arms, daughters on their shoulders, kings, their nursing fathers, queens, their nursing mothers. That short description is now everything that he's talking about since then from about, you know, verse 21 on is all the explanation of this. And he comes back now to the Gentiles. Verse 30, this is great. Yeah. So he said, so blessed are the Gentiles of whom the prophet hath written. He's talking about the prophet, in this case, Isaiah. For behold, if it so be that they repent and don't fight against Zion and don't unite themselves to the great and abominable church, they shall be saved. So he's jumping way ahead in a sense. The Lord's going to fulfill his covenants, which he made with his children. And for this cause, the prophet hath written these things. So he's saying, hey, the Gentiles are going to be blessed just like Israel is going to be blessed. And if they don't fall away and if they endure to the end, he said, they're going to be blessed right along with um, with with Israel. So when he talks about fighting against Zion, you know, it's, it's more than probably maybe what sometimes we've grown up to believe. Zion isn't well, no, it's, it, this reminds me of what we said a few episodes ago about the family of God that we have more in common with uh, yes. a poor lady who in Africa who believes in Jesus and walks to the well to get her water because there's no running water than we do with our own economic political party that we agree with who aren't followers of Christ. Exactly. This is this is talking about don't fight against the family of God. Don't fight against Amen. my church, my Amen. spirit. Amen. Um, that's the abominable church. It's yes. no religion, not believing in God and Christ. And so if you don't unite, I mean, don't unite with political parties and all of this just to be there unless they're Christian. If your neighbor's mm. a, a, you know, you have all those things in common with your neighbor, but he's not a believer in Christ, that's not really who well, you Don't adopt is. his ideas. Yeah. Exactly right. So if they repent, if us Gentiles repent and fight not against Zion— the, the fan, you know, the whole, the righteousness, the plan of God, then we will be 
saved. Yeah, we'll have just the same access that, you know, these people who are Israel do. And this covenant, well, that's why Abraham Abraham had Gentile children through Ishmael and, and Hebrew children through Isaac is because they were all his family, right? And, and that's, mm. Abraham's a type for God in this sense, that we're all God's children if we repent. This is the beautiful message of the I Book of Mormon. I about it, no, that. It, 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 exactly. I, mean, and, I knew it, but I did it in this context. That's why we have our podcast. <laughs> but this, this, this is something that Jacob actually gets to. He says, and, and Nephi writes about it. Uh, he says, hey, whoever the Jews don't repent, aren't the are going to be cast out and whoever the Gentiles do repent are part of the covenant. He said, in other words, it's available for everyone. This flies in the face of Calvinism and all these people of predestination. The book of Mormon tells us so purely, but this is, this is why it had to be that gent. And, and also there's another play on this parallel that this one child who was the Gentile was born to the bondwoman to the slave. And the other child, Isaac was born to the free woman. His wife is that, the children of Christ are always free, but this bondage was represented in the law of Moses. God didn't want the law of Moses, law of bondage, to be our law. He wanted the law of Christ. Mm. And so, again, there's another parallel of it all. But you're right. This family of God is this fighting against Zion. So now, I was just going to say, notice in verse 24, where after he says this, he says, the people, they that fight against Zion and the covenant people shall lick up the dust oh, of their feet. 33. Oh, 33. I'm sorry. Yep, 33 and 34. I was just going to comment on that. I love I love that phrase because it's like you don't use that today. It's like don't go against that or you're, you're going to get your comeuppance or you're going to get what's due to you or karma's going to get you. But, <laughs> but back here it was like you're going to lick, lick up the dust, the dust of their feet. feet. <laughs> Can you think of a worse? It's always better, man. I'm going to start never, using that. I never <laughs> tell Weston. <laughs> Weston. <laughs> Stop it, or you're going to lick the dust of my feet, son. <laughs> I never thought about the visual that creates, but my gosh, it's, it's you know, it's there. So when he says that, remember, Isaiah said it in verse 20, but now Jacob restates it, and he puts it in a little more context in verse 34, or 33, wherefore they that fight against Zion and the covenant people shall lick up the dust of their feet, and the people of the Lord shall not be ashamed. Now this is where he expands. Boom! That should be a period. The people, Lord, shall not be ashamed. Boom! Now here's the, your green mar- here's your green marker, right? Your bright exactly for the people point. of the Lord are that they that wait upon Him. Boom! For they still wait for the coming of the Messiah. You know these are these statements. The one and and then he says, and according to the words of the prophet, the Messiah will set himself again the second time to recover them. Now that jumps to another part of Isaiah. This uh, Isaiah eleven, but. What a stop on that, yeah. Yeah, what uh, that word, wait. Have you looked? Have you looked that up? The Hebrew mm, meaning of that. I have. I've heard different things. Um, I don't. I don't. I mean, we. The first thing you think of is waiting. Is you, you know, husbands may think of their wives getting ready for to go somewhere. Uh, in our household, she's usually waiting on me, and I'm, <laughs> I'm the one frazzled. And let me get this and that. Uh, but waiting, you know, you're waiting for your dinner reservation. You're sitting there and kind of idle, I guess, or twiddling your thumbs, right? Waiting for something to happen. I don't know what this means here. They they wait for him. I guess they they stay faithful. Uh, yeah. I do see now when ashamed is used in this context and licking up the dust of their feet. I have this picture, okay? They that fight against Zion and the covenant people of the Lord shall lick up the dust of their feet, and the people of the Lord shall not be ashamed. I picture the people of the Lord just going forward, walking, and now the people that wouldn't, that wanted to fight against them or didn't want to repent are licking the dust of their feet. Like, I want to be there with you, but now all I have is just the what's left of where you were because I fought against you and mm. you've gone on to be with the king and all I can do is lick, the, lick up the dust of your feet that's left because mm. mm. I have no place. You yeah, know? it's like such a lowly state. Yeah. Well, I love how Jacob takes these words of, J- of Isaiah and continues from there. He says, they still wait for the coming of the Messiah <clears throat> and according to the words of the prophet, the Messiah will set himself again the second time to recover them. Now notice he says, wherefore he will manifest himself unto them in power and great glory unto the destruction of their enemies. 
when that day cometh, when they shall believe in him. Mm-hmm. And none will he destroy that believe in him. That's a promise to everyone right there. But but notice how he says earlier, he's going to manifest himself in the flesh in verse 24. Well, now in verse 37, he says, I'm going to manifest myself again in a, in a day to come in power and great glory. And these enemies of yours, the ones who are licking up the dust of your feet, to their destruction. You, um, It says, after... When the day cometh, when they shall believe in him. I heard, you know, miracles during the wars in Israel and this mighty supernatural power to save them in the battles and things. But that's not necessarily, I mean, no doubt God had his hand in that and establishing them as a nation again, but they still, by and large, you wouldn't say that they're a Christian nation at all. So they haven't come to believe in him yet. Individually they are, but as a as a nation, as an identity uh, I wouldn't say that you know. No, they're not there yet. In fact, um, Nephi says it later. It's in Second Nephi 11 um, and 12 when he's talking about the prophecies of all this stuff to be fulfilled. You know, Jacob and Nephi are like tag team wrestlers, both jumping in on this story here uh, of the prophecies of Israel to be fulfilled in, in, in the future. But um, when he talks about this uh, idea of them... Um, <laughs> Not lost my train of thought. I did it. Well, that's okay. He, uh, I wanted to say this, and um, when we talk about the destruction, so here's where we like to try to figure out. Well, where are we at in the timeline? They that believe not in him shall be destroyed by both by fire and by tempest, and by earthquakes, and by bloodsheds, and by pestilence, and by famine. Does that does that leave anything out? Is that a way of just speaking like? You're going to be destroyed by the natural evilness of nature in this world that doesn't that doesn't it's going to catch up doesn't submit to my laws. The <laughs> yeah. laws of this world are just going to take you and destroy you. Yeah, yeah. And so, well, when we were talking in Second uh, Nephi six, you know, we decided to jump back to five and seven. He talks about this um, amazing uh, cleansing, and it's the same uh, of the land. For wickedness. Oh, I know what I was going to say. You're talking about the, the Jews. So it's the same with the Gentiles as it is the Jews. And where I was going just a second ago was I just heard a statistic this week. Uh, Nephi writes about, he said, there, the wickedness of the Gentiles and the Jews, he said, there will be like drunkenness. He said, both the nations of the Jews and the Gentiles will be like drunkenness in their collective, um, just, just the decadence and everything they've fallen into this, the sin. So he sees this in the future. I just heard this week that the abortion rate in Israel is 9%, 9% of pregnancies in Israel right now and in abortion. Now you think about that. What does that suggest? Well, they're a a nation that God put his hand on to restore, but they've fallen into worldly ways, just like our nation. What's the, do you know the abortion rate in the United States? I don't. Okay, I don't. but nine percent. I mean, I wouldn't have imagined one out of ten babies. Yeah, one yeah, out. Of, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that that's happening right now in Israel. So you look at this, and what you just said is that, hey, you know, they have. It's not like this great um, return to God has overwhelmed them yet, right? You know, we we see glimpses of it happening, mm-hmm. but there's this. Uh, when they believe in him, he said their enemies are going to be destroyed. Well, some of these enemies are the the ideas in their minds too, right? Of you know the the ideas, the ways of the world. But I, I love these. I I've skipped over a hundred. I've intentionally not mentioned so we don't spend too much time. But the parallels, like thirty eight. We not, n- take your time, or we'll, we'll never get to another No, this is. But a, notice, notice where he says, "And none will he destroy that believeth in him." And then thirty nine says, "And they that believe not in him shall be destroyed." These parallels are constant through here. None will he destroy that believe in him, and they that believe not in him shall be destroyed. You know, you just see these unfold throughout his well, writings. Forty, forty. It's hard if you're not if you're listening and not looking, but thirty eight says none will he destroy that believeth in him. Thirty nine says these are the ones he will just dis- they that don't believe will be destroyed. But then forty goes back to repeat thirty eight, and they shall know that the Lord is God. Right? Yep. That's referring to the ones that believe in him, yep. the holy one of Israel. For shall the prey be taken from the mighty, or the lawful captive delivered? Yea, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. 
And then now here in the Restored Covenant Edition, <laughs> Four, they, they, they do it right this yep. time. Yep. In its own little line with your green highlighter for the four, the mighty God shall deliver his covenant people. And that's what he's saying through all of this. The mighty God, mighty to save. Amen. Shall deliver his covenant people. If you want to. If you want to hang on a line of scripture through this terrible tragedies that are going on right now and the death of people and, and the unrest in the country, the mighty God shall deliver his covenant mm. people. That's all you need to know. <laughs> the mighty God wow. shall deliver his covenant. It doesn't, wow. you know, not, it may not be a physical deliverance, though I, I think he does do that, but definitely you'll be delivered from the that, powers of darkness that want to keep you from your from your creator, from your father. And that's what it means when we won't be ashamed, where it says, and they that wait for me shall not be ashamed, ashamed. because the mighty God is going to deliver whoever calls upon his name. I think that's a good jumping off point. We've, we've, let's let, let's let, let's uh, let our hundredth episode, Corey, end with, All right. with that sentence for the mighty God shall deliver his covenant people. And I'm not even going to say anything else because that's powerful and that's power. Well, that's our promise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're doing your fingers? Well, well, All right. Well, we do. But, so, well, we always say, and for the hundredth time, <laughs> just remember, we're all just walking each other home. Thank you for joining us. Amen. That, that went books. by too fast. <laughs>